Welcome to this part of the service, a time when we look into God's Word and seek His face for direction in our everyday life. He is the one who gives us strength uh, to be overcomers, to fight the battles of life. And as one song says, that in, tem- in temptation, He is our strong and mighty tower. And that resonates with me this morning because we would like to think about the subject of temptation, and specifically how to overcome in times of temptation. I've chosen this title, Tackling Temptation. Tackling Temptation. And I'd like for us, first of all, to look at three short passages from Scripture as we get into this message. And first is Luke chapter 8. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 8, and this is the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks a bit about temptation. Starting at verse 5 of Luke 8. These are the words of Jesus. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, and then let's move down to where Jesus then gives some insight into what is being represented here. He defines it a little bit more clearly. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Okay, now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And one more passage, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verses 13 through 16. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin 
when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Or another rendering would be, do not be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived. Referring to the fact that Satan uses deception. When he comes to us, whether it be through Satan, whether it be through our flesh, whether it be through the, through the lure of the world around us, there is deception wrapped up in that. It is not what it, at first glance, appears to be. And so James gives us this strong challenge, and then he says, do not be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Now, let me just say, right from the beginning this morning, the obvious. I'll state the obvious. And that is, you will not make it as a Christian if you do not learn how to conquer temptation. You will not make it as a Christian if you do not learn how to conquer temptation. And the foundation for overcoming temptation in your life is to have a sincere love for righteousness and a serious hatred for sin. You know, I think that we all want to be delivered from temptation. I think we do. And yet, all of us, or at least many of us, myself included too often, we still just sort of like to keep in touch a little bit. There's something in our, in our human nature that we sort of like the thrill. I don't know, is that the right word? We like to sort of keep in touch, and yet we, we want to be delivered, but there's almost this double-mindedness. And you know what James also writes in James chapter 1? He said, a double-minded man is unstable in all, he, all, all his ways. You cannot expect consistent victory in your life when you are trying to serve your flesh and also serve God. There is instability in that. I'm reminded of a somewhat humorous story, and yet it reflects, I think, on our human condition quite a bit. It's a story of a man who was on a diet, and he was really struggling with that. And one day, his trip through town took him past the bakery, of all places. And he thought about that as he was driving into town. He said, you know what, I'm going to be going past the bakery. I haven't had a donut and coffee for quite a while. And boy, that would just hit the spot right now. I just really would like to have a donut or two and a cup of coffee. But he remembered his diet then, and it sort of grieved him. And uh, he, he made this little deal with God. He said, you know, Lord, you know I'm suffering a bit, struggling with this, and... Uh, you know, your will be done, but, you know, how about if, um, we'll leave it this way, God. If, if when I come up to the bakery and there's a parking spot that's available directly in front of the bakery, then that'll be my sign that you would like me to have a donut and coffee this morning. Okay, okay, well, that sounded pretty good to him, I don't know. It sounded that great to God, but it, he thought that was reasonable. You know, because the bakery was a very busy place, and sure enough, there probably wouldn't be. But uh, anyway, sure enough, would you know it? <clears throat> he found an empty spot right in front of the bakery on his seventh time around the block. <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> Doesn't that sort of, though, hit home to you, at least, our, our human nature? No, we would like to be delivered from temptation, but yet there's something that sort of grabs us. And 
we can't quite let go. And there's, well, let me just say once again that in order to overcome temptation, we must have a sincere love for righteousness and a serious hatred for sin. You know, in Hebrews 1 verse 9, we read this, and it's God speaking to his son Jesus. And he says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The heavenly Father speaking to his son Jesus, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, my blessing, my favor rests upon you. Could God say the same thing about you? That you are one that loves righteousness and hates iniquity, hates sin. Could God say that about you? Could he say that about me? You know, in the parable there of the sower that we read in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is saying that there are those who make a profession of faith and then they show signs of growth. But when the heat and stress of life come, when that tug from the world comes into our life, these people fall away. They die out because they have no root. They have no deep, vibrant relationship with God. They're sort of wishy-washy. Uh, they would kind of like to be, enjoy the experiences of being a Christian, and yet they sure enjoy that tug of the world. They enjoy that, and they're sort of back and forth. There's no root there that's saying, Yes, Lord, I'll follow you all the way. I'm yours, surrendered. Do with me what you want to do. And in that wishy-washy state of life, they lose out. They lose out. Uh, we could refer to them as, as surface Christians, perhaps. Uh, their passion for God is not rooted deep, but it's a, it's, it's a shallow relationship that just sort of runs on the surface. It's my prayer uh, this morning that Luke 8, verse 15 describes the desire of your heart. And that is once again, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. In other words, they put effort into not only hearing it, but putting it to practice in their life. They put effort into remembering it, retaining it, making it the guide for their life. And what is the result? They bring forth fruit with patience. Or another rendering says, by persevering, they produce a crop. It's a matter of endurance. And that endurance to face the storms of life, that endurance that allows us to tackle temptation, is rooted in hearing, reading, absorbing God's word, and ordering our life by it, keeping it, putting it to practice. I say it's a beautiful picture of a person who has learned to endure, learned to overcome temptation. Their ability to stand the test of temptation is founded in their sincere love for God, their sincere love for righteousness, their sincere love for his word. You know, dear people, the enemy is oh so strong. And our flesh is so strong. In and of ourselves, we are no match for either the devil or our flesh. And so we must learn to recognize and to conquer temptation. Uh, spiritually speaking, it is a matter of life or death. How you handle temptation in life is a matter of life or death. In fact, we could say that, that our, our success in spiritual battle hinges on our attitude towards God's word. It has been said that and a person's attitude towards God's word 
is the ultimate criteria of their spirituality. A person's attitude towards God's word is the ultimate criteria of their spirituality. And so I ask you this morning, what is your response to the word of God? What is your attitude towards God's word? Is it something that you think is just, I mean, it's good advice. I mean, it, it often is helpful in many situations, but, or do you see it as, as the absolute? That it is, it is the final. It is the one and only. It trumps any other word out there. You know, because the way that you respond to God's word uh, determines your destiny in life. It is that serious. Now, as we consider this subject this morning of temptation, there are several things that we must keep in focus. And first of all, that temptations are an inner struggle. They are an inner and most often unseen struggle. They are spiritual battles that are happening within us that few people, if any, are aware of. Oh, maybe some close friends. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your mother or father, maybe. But few people, if any, are aware of those battles going on within you. And you probably don't want them to know. And yet, just because they are confined within us, it doesn't mean they are small. Doesn't mean they're insignificant. In fact, temptations that once again go unnoticed by many are perhaps the greatest and most important battles that we will ever face in life. Those inner struggles. We must never forget that we are in a spiritual battle with unseen and yet very real powers of evil. And when we fail to keep this in focus, I believe that we are setting ourselves up to fail. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, that is meaning that we don't, flesh, we don't wrestle against the things that we see physically. Okay? But we wrestle, what? Against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, or we could say spiritual forces of evil in high places. That's what we wrestle against. That is where the real struggles are in our lives today. It's not in what is seen. Oh, there may be some out there. There may be some of those battles. But the real ones for the believer are the ones that are unseen in our hearts, in our minds. And so temptations are inner struggles. Secondly, temptations are a normal part of life. Every one of us will face them. What did the verses say? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. Such as is common to man. James chapter 1. Every man is tempted. I say, temptations are a normal part of life. There is nothing unusual about temptation. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we are tempted. In fact, since it is a normal part of life, we need to have a godly game plan in place to know how to not only combat temptation, but to conquer it, to tackle it. And we'll look at that in just a moment, some practical points for tackling temptation. You know, for years I used to struggle with this thing of temptation. It, it would be so discouraging to me. It would weigh me down so heavily. And, and I, would, I would just sort of limp along, as it were, in my spiritual life, feeling, you know, so, so maybe I see something that, that really tempts me. Or maybe I hear something. Or maybe I have an attitude problem. Or the list could go on and on. And, and I would just be battling this in my mind. And, and I would just feel so weighed down. Like, oh man, I, like, I, must be, I must be a terrible person. Like, why am I always fighting this stuff? And, and it just, it produced such a heaviness in my spirit. And I don't know exactly at what point in my life 
um, or what the situation is where someone, either someone spoke to me about it or someone just said something in passing. I cannot remember the exact scenario, but at some point it dawned on me that temptation should not be viewed as, as a means of discouragement and a means of heaviness and a means of, of bringing you down and burdening you. But you should look at it as a means of, of joy, that there is something in your life that is valuable, that the devil is trying to steal and kill and destroy. And so when you're going through times of temptation, lift up your head. And I know that's easier said than done. I understand that from experience. But yet that was a turning point in my personal life. How that temptation can actually strengthen me because it's God's way of saying, keep fighting. There's something of value there that I want to continue to work on and hone and grow in your life. And there's something that the devil is trying to get. So they are a normal part of life. Thirdly then, in temptation, we don't have to fall. We do not have to fall. Once again, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, and I'm going to turn back to that, and you can too. We're just going to look at a few things here that really helped, helped me as I look at this matter of temptation. But in temptation, we can depend on God to help us. He is faithful. What does it say? That temptation, first of all, is common to man, and that God is faithful. In other words, God is there. God knows. God sees. And His strength, His grace is sufficient to help us in our time of need. God is faithful. Along with that, God allows us to be tempted. God allows us to be tempted. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above the ear able? In other words, He allows that into our life. He is in control of the things that are swirling around our life. He is in control. And His goal for us is not to fall. In other words, He is the God, as Jude writes, who keeps us from falling. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before His uh, glory with, I forget, his presence with exceeding joy or something like that. But he is the God that is able to keep us from falling. I also note here in this verse that God limits temptation to what we can stand. He limits temptation to what we can stand. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but along with that, God makes a way out for us. He doesn't lead us into a situation that we have no means of getting out. That we have no ability to find victory. But He also makes a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Or another rendering, that you can stand up under it. That you can stand up under the pressure of that. Once again, it is not God's design that we fall. God is a God that keeps us from falling. He wants us to be able to stand up. And we can stand up under the pressure of temptation. How? Well, it's through taking his way of escape. What is that? I used to wonder, what is that way of escape? I just can't see it. <laughs> this feels so heavy. This feels so strong. The attraction is so strong. I don't, I'm not seeing any door out. And I truly believe that that way of escape, it could be looked at in various ways, but I believe that way of escape is our conscience, our God-given conscience that is embedded in us. It is that little alarm that goes off. Boys and girls, you can, you can understand that. When mama and daddy have said, do not get any more cookies out of the cookie jar. And all of a sudden, you are so hungry, so hungry, you have to have a cookie. All you can think of is cookies. You just see clouds of cookies. 
And you look, mama's not around, daddy's not around, no one will know. And you go to the cookie jar and you go to open that lid and something says, Colin Good, do not eat a cookie. <laughs> you know, there's this little voice that says something. I am convinced it happens to everyone. At least, as long as their conscience is tender. There is a God-given voice within us that teaches us and guides us and gives us a way of escape. And we have a choice to make. So there it is. There's a way of escape. It's that voice. Are you going to take it? God is, God is so merciful. He has placed that there for our good. It's a way of escape. Don't do it. And we could say, oh, crumb. I'm going to eat one anyway. Okay, well, then take your own poison. Or we could say, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I'm not going to eat that cookie. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I say it's the mercy of God. It's beautiful. We don't have to fall. And so the Christian can never say, you know, that temptation was just so great that I could not stand up. No, there's nothing I could do. It was just so. No, the Christian can never truthfully say that. Because when we yield to temptation, we are not looking to God for help. We are not trusting Him. We are not believing His word. But instead, we are following our own fleshly desires. That is what is controlling us at that moment. And so the way of escape is there. But when we choose our own way, we will pay. We could go to Romans chapter 6 as well, but we won't for sake of time. But there's, there's such powerful promises in Romans chapter 6 that talk about that. How that we were a servant to sin. And as a servant and a slave to sin, we were under control of sin in our lives. That was directing us. But thanks be to God, since we have believed the truth, since we have believed the truth, we are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Therefore, we are no longer under the control of the flesh, of Satan, but now we are under the control of God. We are free to live in victory and to do his will. It's beautiful. Now, let's note five practical points for tackling temptation. And they are these. Recognize, remember, recite, remove, and rely. All right? Recognize the enemy. That's the first one. Recognize the enemy. In the parable of the sower, going back to Luke chapter 8... Jesus gives three reasons why people fail in their Christian life. The one is the, de the devil takes the word away. The second is there are no roots, and we noted that one a little bit. And the third is that other things crowd out the word. The stuff of life crowds out the word. So those three things. And so one could say that the three enemies of the soul are the devil, ourselves, and the world. Dear people, none of these should be trusted. <laughs> none of them should be trusted. Temptation can come through any of those three things. But the secret of victory is to recognize the enemy. Recognize the enemy. The story is told of the city of Troy... And not just the city of Troy, but the fall of the city of Troy. I understand from history that the Greeks had been trying to take over the city of Troy for 10 years. And there was no success. Tried various tactics and yet could not overtake the city of Troy. Finally, the Greek army came up with a very clever idea. And that was... They built a giant wooden horse. I mean a giant wooden horse. And they filled that wooden horse with soldiers. And they rolled that wooden horse full of soldiers up to the gate of the city. Outside of the city. And they left it there. And they went their way. Now the people of Troy didn't recognize that giant wooden horse as an enemy. It looked so harmless. In fact, it was a, quite a work of art. 
I mean, it was beautiful. It was unique. Maybe it was a gift, actually. Maybe they're trying, to, after all these years, to have a peace treaty or something. And so this was rather interesting to them. And so they, they looked at that huge wooden horse, massive structure, work of art. They looked at that and they thought about that. They talked about it for a while and at last they brought it into the city. They opened the gates and they rolled that big wooden horse into the city and they shut the gates. Well, that night, while the people of Troy were fast asleep, those Greek soldiers inside the horse, they opened that trap door, dropped the ladders, and they came down out of that horse. They opened the gates to the city, and the Greek army had sailed back. They came in, destroyed that city, captured and killed the people, and burned the city to the ground. You see, the people of Troy failed to recognize the enemy, and it cost them their lives. The Bible says that we must be vigilant, we must be on guard, we must be strong, we must be discerning, we must stand fast, we must try the spirits, or we must test the spirits, analyze, compare, examine the spirits out there. In other words, don't just take whatever you hear as gospel truth. Examine it. It reminds me of the people, the Bereans that we read about in Acts. The Apostle Paul says that they were much more noble than the Thessalonians. The Bereans. Why were they so noble and what was one of their character traits? Well, it says that when the Apostle Paul came and preached to them, preached the doctrine to them, we read that they didn't just blindly take what they heard, but they examined it with Scripture to see if it was truth. They examined it to see if it was truth. That speaks to me. What am I doing with what I hear, what I see? Jesus said the key to overcoming temptation is to watch and pray. Watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, right? But the flesh is weak. Does that sound familiar? It does to me. So we must resist the devil, James chapter 4. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is what the word of God says. What a powerful promise. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's no disclaimers there. It's straight up. The Bible also says that Satan comes as an angel of light. He comes as an angel of light. And as I ponder that, I have to think how Satan comes with the desire and the intent to illuminate our understanding. He wants to reveal something new to us that we never thought about before. Oh, have you ever thought about it this way? He's the angel of light, illumination. In fact, there in the Garden of Eden, when he came as a serpent to Eve, he says, your eyes will be opened. You will be like the gods, knowing good and evil. Your eyes will be opened, illumination. And the devil still wants to do that to us today. Let us not be deceived. Once again, be as the Bereans. Compare what you hear, what you see. Compare it with the truth of Scripture. Secondly, remember. Remember the answer. In time of temptation, dear people, we are not strong enough to handle it on our own. We are not strong enough to take on the devil to tackle the devil, to tackle the flesh on our own, we need the help of another, capital A. <laughs> we need the help of another, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. No, we can't do it on our own. 
But through Jesus Christ, there is strength to overcome. There is strength and power to tackle temptation. You see, the other half of resist the devil and he will flee from you, the other half of that is draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That's the other half. That's the power, is it not? Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. This is sort of a a humorous little illustration. And yet, I think it has some truth for us this morning. And that is, a little girl was asked about how she dealt with temptation. And she said, well, when Satan comes knocking on the door of my heart, I just send Jesus to the door. And then, and then when Satan sees Jesus at the door, he says, oops, I guess I have the wrong house. <laughs> oh, there's some truth to that. There's some power to that, okay? Like, so who is at the door of your life? Who is guarding the door of your life? Because if it's you, <laughs> you ain't going to be able to tackle temptation. But if it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has bled and died for our sins, the one who has risen to newness of life and promises the same for us, then we can be overcomers. Who is answering the door of your life? Now, let's just notice some verses here. Romans 7, 24 and 25. Turn to this. Romans 7, 24 and 25. And this is the passage, Romans chapter 7, we often think about this passage as, oh boy, sort of a passage of despair. (laughs) Despair in our Christian life where we want to do what's right, we want to serve the Lord, and yet there's this battle, battle with the flesh, battle with sin, and and the more we want to do what's right, the more we struggle with that. It's just a really difficult place to be in as a Christian, okay? A place, maybe you could say, that is not fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, how does Paul end that passage? Verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, I know the answers in Jesus Christ. And yet he doesn't end there. He he acknowledges that even though he knows the answer is in Jesus Christ, that as long as he is in this flesh, until he meets Christ in heaven, as long as he is in this flesh, there's a battle that is to be fought. There will be a battle. However, just because there's a battle there doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Because he goes on to say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. (laughs) Beautiful, powerful. It just just floods your soul with peace. When you think about it, it's, it's through the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed and that we experience new life and peace of mind. And yes, there is a battle that is raging for our soul. And yet, as we give that to Jesus and consider what he's done for us, there is peace. There is peace and joy. We experience salvation. Now, Hebrews, two passages, two verses or so in Hebrews, chapter uh, 2. Chapter 2, verse 18. We're talking here about remembering the answer. Hebrews 2, 18. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. Wow, praise the Lord. He knows and he can help us because he's been there. Uh, Chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. The answer, dear people is in Jesus. Remember, and so I say a key to being victorious in time of temptation is to remember the answer. Uh, We must cultivate in our lives the reality of the presence of God. We call it a God consciousness. That God is with us. That God cares. That he is 
watching us, that he sees us. And, and that should not scare us as a believer, but that should comfort us and encourage us and empower us. Thirdly, then, recite the word. Recite the word. It is a practical power for tackling temptation. We tackle temptation with the truth. The Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He is that old serpent. He deceives the whole world. He is the accuser of the brethren night and day before the father. That is the truth about Satan. You know, in times of temptation, Satan doesn't come to us with the absolute truth. No, not at all. He comes to us with a twisted version of the truth. There is some truth embedded in it, but it's a twisted version of it. And I'm always so encouraged by the example that Jesus left us when he was being tempted in the wilderness. The scripture says that he responded to that times, those times of temptation with the word of God. He responded to the, to the temptations, to the accusations of the devil with the word of God. And what was the result? It says that he left well, first of all, the devil left him, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Uh, that is victory. That is practical power for us today in our times of temptation. To responding to, to our flesh, to the devil, to the world, responding with the truth of God's word. There is power in that. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 1, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And we could dig into this more, but I'll just briefly say that that word that the blessed man is meditating on day and night, that word protects him, verse 1, from the evil influences. That word empowers him. Think about the tree that's growing and blossoming and fruitful and beautiful and that word prospers him and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper I say it protects and empowers and it prospers the one who is meditating day and night on the word of God James 1 verse 21 receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls recite the word dear people it's a powerful tool in tackling temptation. Fourthly, remove the object. Okay, maybe you don't want to look at this one. Should we skip to number five? <laughs> remove the object. Sometimes the most effective way to conquer temptation is to remove the object that is tempting you. And I know that is very unpopular uh, in today's world. That is very unpopular even among many evangelicals today because there is this supposed separation between my position with God and my practice and I refute that I don't believe there is I believe the two go hand in hand but you may think that removing the object of temptation is is too radical you may think it's very unnecessary. You may think that it's, it's even impossible. You might even say that, well, life would never be the same without it. And I agree, life will never be the same. It'll just be a whole lot better. <laughs> It'll just be a whole lot better. You won't know that until you try it, you see. But you're just thinking that way. I did for many years as well. There was things that continually tripped me up. I can refer to my, uh, my music, things that in my music were not right. And I, I knew it. I was uneasy about it. But, but it was my music. Like it, it sort of defined me. It was part of my image, who I was. It went back to... I could think about my, my grasp on hunting for many years. I could talk about issues I had my, with my smartphone, uh, that I was not living in consistent victory, and finally came to the point where I... Gave it up for a point of time. You know, and, and our flesh would like to say, that's like extreme. Like, you don't have to go that far. Just, just learn to conquer. Just learn to use wisely what you have. Learn to prioritize. Yeah, that sounds great, and that sounds good. And if you can do that, God bless you. But I'll just tell you that many Christians can't. Many Christians cannot consistently do that. And so, you know, there may be things in your life that are dragging you down. There may be things in life that are sort of stealing 
the zip, as it were, out of your experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what they are. I know what they are for me. You know what they are for you. Let me just say that victory can be experienced when you abstain from whatever it is, when you remove it. And once again, it's, it's not a popular word, this word of abstain, but it's a very powerful word. Just to be real practical, we could say, you know, so if the newspaper or some other book or magazine is causing you to stumble, whether it's through your, how you're using your time or how you're thinking, then get rid of it. If your smartphone is habitually causing you to sin, get rid of it. How will I live? You'll live. I did for quite some time. Maybe your hobby is getting in the way. Maybe your work schedule is causing your personal time with God to suffer. Rethink your priorities. Dearly beloved, 1 Peter 2.11, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. What does that mean to you? Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What does that mean to you? Hebrews 12, 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. What does that mean to you? Maybe you have a way of navigating around that. I don't know. But the word of God seems to be pretty clear cut. If there's something in your life that is consistently causing you to stumble, if there's something in your life that is getting between you and your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to sever it. You need to sever it. And I would say that abstaining is not a mark of weakness. But instead, it is a measure. It is a measure of strength. It is a measure of a real man or woman of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly then, practical power for tackling temptation. Rely on others. Rely on others. And this speaks about brotherhood accountability. Some time ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who had fallen into sin through his improper use of the internet. And one thing that he said really stood out to me, and that is, he said, perhaps the greatest lesson I learned through all of that is that I really need my brothers. I really need my brothers. You see, that flies against our flesh. We don't like to admit that we need help. Like, we think that we can handle this. Like, we can get a hold of this. That I just need to work harder. I just need to do better in this. Like, mm, man, I, I, I get so weary of, of falling in this. But, I, okay, I just need to draw some new lines, for, you know. But we don't like to think of asking for help. Because, first of all, we have to admit that we have a problem. And that's scary. Because then it makes us look bad. And it makes them look better than, uh, it's just... You know how it is. You know how pride works. You see, once again, we all face temptations, though. Temptations are not uncommon to man. We all struggle in certain areas of life. But for some very unfortunate reason, we tend to believe that it's our own little battle that no one knows about and no one will understand. And, and if we say something about it, They'll be like, what's wrong with you? And if we share about it, we'll really shatter our reputation. And on and on and on and on, the devil has all kinds of tricks he likes to throw at us. So don't say anything because it'll ruin your life. No one will ever think well of you. That is a trick of the devil. That is not the truth. The Bible makes it clear that the temptations we face are common to man. In other words, others will understand it too. Oh yeah, I might not struggle with what you, and vice versa. We may not struggle with the exact same things, but the root of the problem is similar in the same in many ways. They'll understand. They'll understand. You know, dear people, we are in this thing together. We are here to help each other make heaven. 
And that is a part of the beauty of the brotherhood. I'm here for you. You're here for me. Don't take that as a threat. Look at it as a blessing. It's the mercy of God. And so I just want to challenge all of us in this thing of of brotherhood accountability when it comes to spiritual struggles, when it comes to temptations, to just be open, be transparent, be real about your struggles in life. And there is a discreet way to be real. I don't mean just throw everything out there. No, there's a way to do it in a way that's confidential, in a way that is, is okay. But be open and be real. So, you know, are you struggling with your thoughts? Are you struggling with your speech, your attitude? Are you struggling with a lack of discipline in some area of your life? I encourage you to share that struggle with a brother or sister that you can trust. Share it with them. Ask them to pray for you. Part of the power is gained by simply sharing it. Another part of the power is gained by their prayers. There's beauty there. And and let me just say, they will not laugh at you. They will not make fun of you. They will not throw you under the bus, as it were, but they will say, you know, I know how you're feeling because I've been there. I've struggled with similar things before. God bless you for saying something. And I believe it is such a key to not only finding victory in our personal lives, but I believe it also develops real trust and accountability in relationships within the brotherhood. It is the beginning to very many beautiful things in the brotherhood when we can just be real and say, this is where I'm at, brothers and sisters. I'm not doing well in this area. Will you pray for me? And it can be done personally, publicly, but I believe through that step, confess your faults one to another, Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I believe it produces a lot of power in our local congregations. And so temptation. Uh, Will you stand or will you fall? It's a question I'd like to leave with you. Will you stand or will you fall? We don't have to fall, praise God. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we can be victors. We can tackle temptation. No, not on our own, but through his power. And so recognize, remember, recite, remove, rely. They are powerful tools that help us to live in victory today. Let's pray.